Welcome to the Drake Basketball Podcast. Here to look back at Drake's seventh victory in the last eight tries against UNI and to get you ready for matchups against Valpo and first place Indiana State. You know, 15 years ago, I don't think you could have found a single Drake basketball fan that would have even believed you if you said, oh yeah, Drake will beat the Panthers seven of eight. Drake will play UNI and be favored and fully expect to take care of business, but that's where we are in Drake basketball. And it was a very enjoyable performance on Saturday night. I know both of us were there at the Knapp Center in front of a pretty much sold out crowd. And it was a fun one, a little bit nerve wracking. What were your thoughts? I just want to talk about the atmosphere a little bit, because like you said, it was a sellout. And unlike Drake home games and years past, where you would have the upper level just filled with UNI fans. So it was essentially like a 60-40 split. It was very evident that Darren DeVries and Brian Harden and the whole crew over at Drake are building something in Des Moines. Because I would say the split this time was probably closer to 80-20, maybe 85-15 in terms of Drake versus UNI fans. Did you get that sense from where you were sitting? I would have ballparked it the same 80-20, 85-15, because, yeah, even as early as, what, four or five years ago at the start of the Debris era, 100%, you would go to a Drake UNI game, and it really felt almost 50-50, and any time UNI would would have a rally or they'd go on a charge, you could just hear the UNI fans. That was not the case on Saturday night, very much so a pro-Drake crowd, as it should be. So really nice to see that kind of support from Des Moines' hometown team, as as everyone knows. But yeah, no, really fun atmosphere. It it felt like the the building was ready to explode anytime Drake had any kind of momentum. Like they really wanted a blowout. Unfortunately, it kind of didn't happen until the last couple minutes that Drake started building its lead. But yeah, just a really fun basketball atmosphere. Yeah, and like you said, the final score wasn't really reflective of the game itself because it was a back-and-forth affair. Drake got up eight with about seven minutes left in the first, and by halftime, UNI was up two. UNI got up 10 with about 17 minutes left in the second, and then they outscored UNI 28-9 to over the last 13 minutes of the ballgame. Yeah, they did an incredible job those last 17 minutes of the game. Uh, I think I texted you after the game. By by my count, Drake allowed 17 points the last 17 minutes of the game. And they did that by inserting Kyron Gibson into the lineup a little bit more. I think that allowed them to switch everything on the perimeter and just made things a little bit easier on them defensively. But yeah, as you said, definitely was not a 14 point win or didn't feel like one it was a close game and and you can kind of feel some of the tension when you and i was up 46 36 again i mentioned they were shorthanded uh bow and born uh their best player best scorer uh did not suit up for the panthers which of course felt like uh, an ominous sign for drake because when we played belmont earlier this year they were also out their lead guard and that led to a shocking blowout by belmont so you and i responded well you know i thought that first half tucker 
uh, played extremely well. Uh, it was actually kind of reminiscent of Missouri State, where <laughs> Tucker just had it going, you know, had 19 points in the first half, so much so that, again, we kind of stopped running our offense a little bit and just started letting Tucker chuck away from from everywhere, which was okay for the most part. You know, he was really, really rolling. But then again, similar to Missouri State, you know, we got stagnant. But the one thing that, you know, that really stood out, Tucker, when, you know, when Drake was down 10, Connor Enright, I thought was was so key in kind of fueling the comeback, hitting a couple threes and and really just being the offensive punch that Drake needed when Tucker couldn't get going in the second half. Yeah, both the guards did a great job. This wasn't one of Atten's best games from just a scoring standpoint, but there was a definitive point in the second half when we got down 10, and I think Coach DeVries probably talked to both Atten and Connor because there was an immediate change in the way that they were attacking the hoop. They started going downhill a lot harder and they weren't allowing the defender to stop them from getting there, especially Atten started to force the issue. And if he got just that half a shoulder by him, he would go to the hoop, he'd force contact and he'd get to the line. So even though he didn't score that much that game, he did end up going five from seven from the line, including a big and one down the stretch. So yeah, credit to to Connor, like you said, and Atten both for making a huge impact on this game. Right. And and Adam, he had a rough game against Missouri State, I thought. And, you know, honestly, he had a pretty brutal first half against the Panthers. And we've had these games where I don't think this is all on, on Adam. We just we kind of don't know how to locate him. And then he doesn't get going. And, and he's just a guy that that needs the ball. You know, like he's a guy who who needs touches to kind of get into a rhythm to kind of drive the basketball. So I give him a lot of credit for Essentially, you know, you have rough game against Missouri State. You know, you're not having a good game against you and I. And and like you said, he really started to force the issue and just put his head down. And he was drawing all kinds of contact and just being really physical. And just that constant pressure from both Connor and Adam not only got the Panthers early in the bonus in the second half, it also led to a lot of just more driving kicks uh, that led to like a Kyron three or a Tucker three. Uh, so yeah, huge performance from the guards in the second half. Looking back at it, our starting one guard and our starting two guard with Connor and Atten did the two things that you need to do to beat the UNI defense. Because UNI defense is completely oriented around keeping you out of the paint on dribble drives because they play a version of the pack line that was developed by Dick Bennett at Washington State and obviously played by Tony Bennett at Virginia. But with that defense, they pressure the ball handler while everyone else plays sort of a sagging man-to-man defense designed to cut off dribble penetration and provide help in penetration situations. And so obviously what you give up when you play that sagging defense is more three-point looks. But as an offense, you have to make sure that you aren't just settling for those semi-open three-point looks, which is what I think we started to do a little bit towards the end of the first half. But in the second half, we closed that 10-point gap with Connor hitting, I think, back-to-back threes, one of which hit the front of the rim and dropped in. And then, like we were talking about with Atten, forcing the issue and not letting their help defense stop him from driving and getting to the hoop. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I thought the first half, those looks were a little bit more open than the end of the first half. I I thought Brody and Nate Ferguson were doing a really good job of freeing up uh, Tucker for a lot of those looks, just setting really good screens to free him up. 
Uh, Drake ends up winning 77-63. Like you said, I, I believe you and I, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they were up 61-60 with about five minutes left. So 17-2 to close out the game. Drake did an outstanding job. It was kind of funny watching. I kind of enjoy watching Connor play defense against not like an all MVC guard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he he always, you know, draws Xavier Johnson or or Swope or, you know, just someone who, you know, is going to be really hard to check the entire game. So it was kind of fun watching him like, oh, let's watch let's watch Connor like actually dominate a guard defensively like he should, because he is a really good one on one defender. And he's so fast. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, like you you lose sight of it because when he's running around with Austin Mason, you know, you're like, oh, come on. Why can't you keep up with him? And it's like, no, like Connor is fast and he does do a good job. But again, sometimes we just we ask a lot of him uh, on his one on one assignments. But Connor was was great. You know, I also thought Brody did a really good job in the second half. He had that massive dunk off of the ad and assist. Uh, really got the crowd going. So it was a, you know, a little bit nerve wracking there, but they gutted it out and and Drake could have gotten starting to get kind of nervous, kind of tense, but they just kept chipping away, kept chipping away. And in the end, you know, they ended up with a comfortable 14 point win. Yeah. And talking about the step up and intensity of our defense. So we were down 54-49 with 12 minutes and 50 seconds left, and we ended up winning 77-63. So we held them to nine points over essentially the last 13 minutes. And for reference, that's five fewer points than you and I gave up against Texas A&M, who scored 14 points in 35 seconds to force overtime and eventually beat them in the NCAA tournament. So I, I, I like that we have to mention that as much as we can on the podcast. That's 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 pretty funny, but I I will admit, and and I swear that this isn't a joke. You know, when Drake was up, whatever, like twelve with a minute left, it did pop into my head. Like, well, remember Texas A&M and you and I. You know, this game is not over yet. That game has has permanently changed my basketball viewing experience because anytime there's like a ten point lead with thirty seconds left, I'm like, you and I could do it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the T Mac thirteen points in thirty three seconds. You know, oh, if T Mac can do that, then anyone can do that if a team can give up a lead like that in a minute then anyone can give up a lead like that in a minute and it's funny because i don't view it as a texas a&m could come back i view it as a you and i could blow it because that was the biggest choke job i've ever seen in college basketball or professional basketball for that matter in a single game so yeah like you said it's just changed the way i watch basketball Uh, i also like how we're probably about you know, 15 minutes into this pod or something like that. And as we routinely do, because Tucker is a really good basketball player, um, we haven't even mentioned Tucker again, demonstrating why he is the reigning player of the year in the Valley. 29 points, seven rebounds, six assists, was lights out in the first half with 19 points. And I thought in the second half, you could see that he was getting a little bit tentative and probably thinking about the Missouri State game where he went scoreless in the second. But I thought he made better decisions as the second half went on and really, really got some open looks for Kyron uh, and some other guys on the team. So again, another great Tucker performance. You know, in the end, Drake hits 11 threes compared to UNI's five. Um, I think that was kind of a, a big difference maker in the game because neither neither team, you know, shot 
very well overall, but just Drake getting to the line a little bit more, hitting a few more threes. You know, when you look at the box score, that kind of ends up being the difference. It's interesting that Bowen Bourne was out this game because obviously Colby Garland was out for Drake, who probably would have been one of two primary defenders on ball with him there. And it'll be really interesting to see what this looks like when we play them in Cedar Falls, assuming that he's back by then. I don't think he has a permanent injury or anything. He just said general illness is the reason for his absence. This could be a very different looking game in Cedar Falls, assuming we have Colby Garland back and Bowen Bourne is back for the Panthers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could definitely miss his intensity um, and just the spark that he gives off the bench. So Drake definitely missed him and his his defense. But Bowen Bourne is one of the best guards in the league. He's a guy that can sometimes be a little bit inefficient, uh, but he's also someone that can score the ball very quickly on you. So when we play in Cedar Falls, I expect Bowen Bourne to, to have an impact because honestly, Drake took them a while, uh, but once they clamped down on defense, they just, you and I really does rely a lot on Bourne. Uh, and it was just a matter of kind of being patient, switching everything, and just essentially just keep forcing contested jumpers, uh, which is what it turned into. So it'll be a very different game. I, I still like our chances uh, in Cedar Falls in a few weeks. But yeah, I mean, definitely a bummer that couldn't suit up. It would have been a different game. And honestly, going into the game, as you mentioned, this may be because we're just too negative or too superstitious or too whatever. But when I saw he wasn't playing, I was bummed, not only because it would have been a more interesting basketball game to watch, but also because I almost felt like our chances were better if he had played, just because I value Coach DeVry's prep work so highly. And I know how specifically he prepares his defense to shut down the other team's biggest strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And as we saw with Belmont, sometimes teams have that one game after they lose a star player where everybody rallies around and they play a little bit out of their heads for that first time before they then regress to the mean uh, without those points per game coming off the bench. So, yeah, one thing, you know, one thing I'll mention with the Kobe Garland injury, it was nice to see Carlos Rosario get some run. That's ultimately where some of Garland's minutes went. I, we've talked about it, you know, DeBreeze kind of likes having a short bench, you know, he kind of likes just playing eight guys, typically. Um, so, in a way, I, I, I understand, or I'm not surprised that he's not trying to go deeper into his bench, but I just think Rosario could have such a role on this team, just gives you length, a slasher, uh, someone that can defend uh, multiple positions, so... You know, he didn't have a a very impactful game. I thought he had good energy, but I just want to see him get a little bit more run. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the uh, stat sheet, I think he might have put up a Snell, did he? (laughs) I think he went Snell. Uh, For for non-NBA fans listening, a Snell is when you are on the court and put up zeros across the board on the box score outside of minutes played. But... Like Eduardo said, he it wasn't that he wasn't being unaggressive. Like, he was very engaged on defense. Uh, he had a nice drive to the hoop. And when he's open, he can hit open threes. So I'm all for getting Carlos court time when, uh, when coach sees an opportunity for it. Absolutely. Anything else stood out from the game? Drake taking down our beloved Panthers. Yeah, shout out to Nate Ferguson. Seven points, six rebounds, and one enormous swat in just 16 minutes of play. He was great coming in for Brody. And, and, you know, we kind of take Nate for granted. Playing that role is not easy, as in playing 15, 18 minutes a game and always coming with energy, setting screens, rebounding, 
and finishing when someone puts puts up a good either a roll to the hoop or a lob he plays that role so well for drake uh, and it really takes someone who's, you know, who's really focused day in and, and day out. And 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 I agree, he he did have a really good performance on Saturday night. I'd also give a shout out to official Randy Heimerman. <laughs> he never fails to be one of the worst refs I've seen. Every game he has against Drake, I was talking with DU Bulldog from Drake Nation before this game started. And he was like, do you see Randy's on the court? I was like, yep. It's like, well, <laughs> there's going to be a six-man on the floor for the Panthers tonight. Uh, there were some questionable calls. <laughs> Most notably, I was so frustrated with the whistle that Titan Anderson was getting. Because I promise you, if you go back and watch this game on playback, all of the fouls that he drew were pretty non-existent. And he was just getting bailout call after bailout call. I thought Brody defended him really well all game so he didn't end up having an impactful game either even then just calls that weren't fouls you also had the weird play in the first half where where drake's on the break and tucker lays it up and a uni player clearly grabs the rim as the ball just stops on the rim and they just called a essentially like a jump ball and did not call a goal 10 so two points that should have gone to the bulldogs there yeah, and with that one, they gave UNI the ball, and at least on the scoreboard, did not then switch the possession arrow back over to Drake. They kept it to UNI, so they both gave them the ball and kept the arrow pointed UNI's direction. I know the one on the scores table is pointed the opposite way, so I don't know which one overrides the other. But as is always the case with Randy, it was a sketchily officiated game. Yeah, yeah. At least, at least in the second half. I think, and and this kind of goes to, you know, don't let refs control the outcome of a game because Adam and Connor were, were so freaking aggressive driving it that ultimately Drake ended up having more free throws and drawing more fouls because it was kind of obvious that they were being the more aggressive team overall. Yeah. We avoided the curse and and <laughs> got the W in the nap center as, as Drake typically does. With Coach DeBreeze, do you want to get into the game that we don't want to mention that happened right before you and I? Um, I'll just give you full credit. In our last episode, when discussing Missouri State, I mentioned the fact that they'd lost three of their last five games by 20 points or more. And you told me, you said, but you just know. We're going to go to Springfield and those idiots are going to shoot out of their minds and ruin our Saturday night. And sure enough, Alston Mason, who was three of 14 from three, I believe, in the game before us, came out and uh, did his what did he end up audition with? tape. What did he end up I think with? he ended up with 38 points. <laughs> solid, solid performance. Uh, 36. 36. 36. Okay. Yeah. It felt like 38. <laughs> yeah. Felt like 55, actually. Um, and with that game, I don't want to talk about it too much just because it was a gross game. <laughs> and uh, it'll just it'll get us down after this great w- victory over Northern Iowa. But the one takeaway I have from that and sort of question I have from that is the same one that you had, which is I would have loved to see us try something different defensively when one guy has half of the other team's points. And we ran, I think, a pretty straight man defense on him between Connor and Colby. And it just would have been interesting to see us like try to put some size on him, maybe uh, you know, deny a little bit harder, double occasionally, just something to see if we could break up that rhythm. 
Yeah, and, and and just in case some of our listeners missed it, Drake ended up dropping a 83-80 double overtime game against Missouri State. And yeah, I agree. I think when you look at probably the two things that were the most concerning when you take a step back and from a game that you should have won, a game that you were up 16 at one point in the first half, the lack of adjustment on a guy just completely going off uh, was frustrating. I understand that you have your game plan and and you're probably kind of just aligning everything so that you're always playing Austin Mason man-to-man straight up and you, and you didn't want to adjust. Uh, but a few things happened in that game. You know, one, Colby uh, goes out with an injury. Uh, so he's out for the second half, which means it was just Connor on the assignment the, the entire second half pretty much. Uh, and two, Austin Mason was going off and in rhythm to a level that Coach Zabriz probably did not expect, right? Um, so it would have been nice to see Kevin Overton on him, uh, a double, a zone, you know, whatever. It's just he was in such a rhythm and it just felt like we decided, you know, we're going to this is how we're playing it. And if we win, we win. And if we lose, we lose. And we ended up losing. And the other concerning thing to me, we've talked so much about the Tucker Brody I post action and how much Drake runs off of that. And, you know, we've always said the best way to defend it is just to blow it up before it even starts. And that's exactly what Missouri State was doing consistently in the second half. Obviously, they have more size and athleticism than the majority of the teams in the Valley where maybe, you know, they they don't have that capability, uh, but they were blowing that up constantly. And we just never adjusted, never gave Tucker any kind of look where it wasn't just him playing iso ball against Donovan Clay in the second half and overtime, which, you know, like I mentioned before, Tucker had 18 points in the first half against Missouri State and went scoreless the rest of the way. Yeah, so overall, gross game. Hate it, put it behind us. Because next up, we have another team that you could potentially overlook coming to town. Last matchup, you had Missouri State, who was down bad, and then you had you and I at home, coming up the game after and whether it was because we overlooked them or just because of, you know, Alston Mason having a career night, uh, we ended up dropping a disappointing game, which we can't afford to do if we want to compete for the title this Wednesday against Valpo. Valpo is two and eight in conference, second to last place, six and 15 overall. Drake beat Valpo in their first meeting at Valpo 83-65, but the Beacons are on something of a hot streak by their standards. They've won two of the last five with wins over Illinois State and UIC. They only lost by six at Southern Illinois, by three at Evansville, and by 11 against Missouri State. So they're sort of starting to find their footing a bit. You know, they're starting to believe in rookie head coach Roger Powell's system. We did a full breakdown of Valpo before our first matchup, but if you want the cliff notes, they're led by a guard, Isaiah Stafford, freshman big man Cooper Schweiger. Schweiger had 13 in the Bulldogs' last matchup, and Stafford had 20. Yeah, you know, Valpo, they're not going to wow you offensively. Um, you know, they're not a team that can really outscore you. They're a team that, if they're gonna, if they're going to beat you, they're going to beat you by playing sound defense, by kind of mucking it up, and and just being being gunny and hitting a few more threes than they typically would. Uh, like you said, it's it's a trap game, and Indiana State also has a trap game uh, on Wednesday against Belmont at Belmont. So they have a little bit of a tougher assignment. 
Indiana State does. But again, if the end goal is to win a regular season title and to be best positioned to win a conference tournament title, you cannot be dropping these games just like they did with Missouri State uh, Valpo. It's a game that Drake should win and they should have a comfortable victory, especially at home. But again, you don't want to look ahead. And like we said, we podcasters can look ahead. Uh, but Drake just has to take care of business. You know, they got to beat Valpo. We got a huge game coming up against Indiana State. Yeah, really the interesting note between these two teams, since we should have a talent advantage at every position and uh, a coaching advantage as well. But really the one point to focus on here, if you're looking for an advantage for Valpo, is they have that 6'9", 210-pound freshman who Brody should be able to body inside, but Schweiger does shoot 36% from three. So we'll have that challenge of Brody having to chase him around behind the arc, which is always an issue when we get those stretch fives. So assuming that we take care of business and handle Schweiger and don't let him go off, I think we'll have a great game coming up this Saturday against Indiana State. This is it. I mean, I said before that the winner of this game would go on to win the regular season title and unfortunately this is even more true because drake dropped that game against missouri state so if drake doesn't come through on saturday against indiana state that would put them two behind on the loss column you know and drake still has twice against bradley another road game against you and i and and honestly right after indiana state again just a tough stretch i mean they play at indiana state and then after that home to Southern Illinois and then add Bradley. So this is this is going to be a really fun one. Uh, as I've said before, I don't believe you can really beat Indiana State with defense. Of course, you have to have a good defensive game plan and, and make things tough on them. But you really got to beat them with your offense because they're not a great defensive team. And Drake has to come out and have their best offensive performance on the road this season. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what Josh Schertz is going to do defensively in this game. Because in the first matchup, Darren DeVries used Darnell Brody like a battering ram. He started going to him immediately in the post, had him go right at Robbie Avila, and he got him into foul trouble. He started scoring inside early. And because Avila was in foul trouble, he only played 24 minutes, going 6-14 to from the field. And Darnell just had a field day then going up against his backup, Xavier Bledson. And the rest of the team just got into the swing of things. Tucker had 29 points, six boards, four assists. And we're going to need big games from both Tucker and Brody again to win this one. Outside of the big two, Kevin Overton had a big game against them last time around. He put up 16 points on three of five three-point shooting and went five from five from the line. It'll probably take the Bulldogs' best game of the season to win this one in Terre Haute in front of what I presume will be a sold-out Pullman Center. Yeah, and absolutely. And Indiana State, they're a very good team. And offensively, they just put you in a lot of bad situations. They can really stretch out the floor. Um, they have five shooters pretty much at all times throughout the game. They make 12 threes a game. I mean, that's their average. And that's what you should expect. They're going to hit 12 threes. And you have to figure out how are you going to generate enough offense and play within your system uh, and kind of wreck them, which is what they did in Des Moines. I, back when we did that podcast after that after that game, I, I felt like they just did some weird things defending Brody and probably were 
a little bit over aggressive, uh, as you were alluding to with that matchup with uh, Robbie Avila. I hope that they're overly aggressive in how they attack Brody this time around as well, because I think it worked out pretty well for Drake. But but as you said, it is all hands on deck. You need everyone. I mean, you need Tucker to have a Tucker game. You need Adam Overton, Brody to be in double digits. And you have to be sound defensively. And if it's 12 threes, make it so that they're not shooting 40%. Make it so that they're shooting 30%. And, and that's kind of the, the mindset that you need to have. Do you have a prediction going into this one, Bardo? Oh, why, why do you want to make me pick against Drake? <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Make you pick against Drake. Okay. So we can see who the negative Nelly is on this podcast. You know, just for I, that, uh, just for that, dogs win by six, 95, 89. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I like the gutsy 95 points. Uh, in a in a road win prediction. I mean, if the Bradley Braves can score 86, I mean, we're at least nine points better than Bradley. This is true. This is true. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what to expect. I think this is the type of game that traditionally in the DeVries era we have done well in, you know, when we go into it. I don't know how much Indiana State will be favored by. I'm assuming it'll probably be, you know, four or five points, something like that. Uh, so we'll be underdogs in this game, and Drake has traditionally played really well in that role under under DeVries. Um, it's a really tough environment. Like you said, it's going to be a packed house. I think Indiana State will likely win by four points, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope we can come back and you can play back this audio of me uh, making my prediction and say you should have trusted that the Bulldogs were going to be ready uh, for the Sycamores. Although, to be fair, the last time I was yelling at you for being overly negative was before the Missouri State game. Maybe I need to backtrack. Maybe my uh, my confidence gave Drake too much confidence. They listened to the podcast before the Missouri State game and and said, you know, Tucker said not to worry about, about the Bears. <laughs> uh, no, I've... I've been told that, you know, the DBP is the team's main source of previewing <laughs> opponents. Oh, it's going to be fun. You know, ESPN2, packed house, two best teams in the Valley going at it. I hope we can have a great performance. You know, when you look at our record this year away, I believe we're three and three. So, you know, which Drake team is going to show up? The one that showed up against Southern Illinois when we just kind of surgically took them apart? Or is it going to be more the, well, I'm not going to say Belmont because, I mean, come on, that was that was an aberration. Uh, but more, yeah, but more the Missouri State game where it's like you, you have good stretches, but then you have bad stretches and, you know, you can't have that. You got to play a full game against Indiana State. Well, with the uh, upcoming game previews knocked out of the way, it's time to go to everyone's new favorite segment, the mailbag. That's the new favorite segment. People keep keep sending in the questions, so we got to deliver. First up, Mike Flegel asks on Twitter, what current player from a Valley team would you add to Drake's roster today if you could? Uh, so I thought about this a decent amount, and he did say, you know, which player? Right. So he's he's giving us full license on if we're going to pick a player, you know, we can pick any type of level of a player. Right. So with that in mind, I would go with Xavier Johnson from Southern Illinois. 
I know. Picking the leader in the conference in points per game as the person <laughs> you want to add to your team seems uh, a little too obvious, but Xavier Johnson is having such a great year for Southern Illinois. And when you take a look at his game and what he brings to the table, I really do think he would be just would take Drake to a crazy level, shooting the ball extremely well, aver- averaging 23 points a game. What I like so much about his game, since he has the ball so much in his hand, he's also a very willing passer, leads the team in assists. I believe he's around close to six assists a game as well. So I would go with Xavier Johnson. I know, all-conference guard. Yeah, so when I was looking at this, I sort of took two different approaches to it. One, I just looked at best overall player, in which case my answer would be the same as yours. It's Xavier Johnson scored 30 plus five times this season, including 38 at number 22, James Madison, 32 against Oklahoma State, shoots 40% from three, 90% from the line, better than 45% from the field. And like you said, also leads the conference in assists at six per game. He's just an outstanding player. I would assume he's going to get a look at the next level. But from a complimentary perspective, to what Drake is as an offensive and defensive entity, I think that I go with Robbie Avila because during Coach DeVries' tenure here at Drake, a stretch five is something he's had on his wish list for a while now. And Robbie shoots 43% from three. Just picture a one-two punch of big men with Darnell Brody bodying people, scoring inside with his 6'10", 275-pound frame. Then when he gets gassed, you bring in Robbie Avila, who stretches the court, brings a change of pace, and starts knocking down threes from distance. Uh, I mean, to me, as an opposing coach, that would be a nightmare to try to defend. I mean, hell, if you wanted to be the slowest team on record on defense, you could run a supersized lineup where Robbie plays the four spot. He averages four assists per game, so he can move it around, get some twin towers out there, action up high where they hit the back cutting guards since both of them are great passers. Since you went with Xavier, I will go with Robbie Avila. I like it. See, I was picturing, when you said Robbie, I was just picturing more Robbie and Tucker operating and just essentially just looking like a glorified YMCA game out there of just like dishing and diming and back cuts, really fundamental basketball (laughs) and just lulling everyone to sleep. Uh, So that'd be... Wait, are are they a glorified YMCA team? Because they're two white guys, one of whom wears goggles? No, I was going more for the extreme <laughs> fundamentals. You were the one that brought the wideness of both Robbie and Tucker into the into the fray. It, it seems like you're you're bringing the announcer code speak where you're going to talk about Robbie being a real gym rat next. I would never talk about Robbie's motor that way. Uh, how dare you? Motor. If you want to throw another honorable mention of another guy who I thought would fit in really well with this year's Drake's team is Isaiah Swope. Again, we're we're basically just cherry picking like three guys that are going to be <laughs> all NBC first team. But Isaiah Swope, when you look at our team, we kind of just have guards and forwards. We don't really have like a traditional shooting guard who's just like a catch and shoot machine, right? Uh, so I think Isaiah Swope would fit in really nicely for those reasons. Really electric scorer for Indiana State. So it doesn't bode well for us that we just pick two players, you know, out of the entire MVC, and yet we have a matchup with them uh, on Saturday night. We're about to make them regret they didn't play for Drake. Hey, all I'm saying is if they if they want to consider a transfer, people come to us. Generally, people don't leave us. So I'm just going to put that out there. And when they do leave us, they struggle. So, I mean, Drake is a place to go. 
Not to leave. Um, all right, so we have one more question coming from a source who chooses to remain anonymous. I think I ran this by you this weekend, and it is looking at some of Drake's Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Years, not all of them here, but a few of them. Start, bench, cut. Lewis Lloyd, Adam Emmenecker, Tucker DeVries. Wow. I think the case, I think it's really between Adam Emmenecker and Tucker for who you cut. I don't think you can cut Lewis Lloyd. Uh, you filled me in a little bit on some of the the history be, behind him and his scoring prowess because obviously I've just mostly just look at it, look up at his jersey when, when when I go to Drake games. But in between Tucker and Emmenecker, I think you have to go with Tucker as a I'll say bench Tucker start Lewis Lloyd cut Adam Emmenecker. Um, and you have to go with Tucker just because of the longevity. He's been, this is third year here, probably has a good chance of being player of the year again. Will at the very least be all first team NBC. Uh, if he sticks around another year and doesn't go to the NBA, will likely do it again next year. Um, so I'll go for that in terms of just the career uh, longevity. And in terms of like a one-year impact, I mean, nobody can question what Adam Emmenecker did <laughs> that year in 2008. It was pretty magical. Yeah, my answer for this is going to be the same as yours. Just for maybe some of our, our younger listeners who didn't have a chance to, uh, and I'm say this like Eduardo and I did, we weren't around to watch Lewis Lloyd play. Oh, I remember it back in the day. <laughs> but uh, you know, just from watching clips online and looking at his accolades, I mean, as great as Tucker DeVries is, and he's a future NBA player, probably going to get picked, depending when it, whether he goes this year or next year, he's going to go play in the league. But Lewis Lloyd was a two-time player of the year in the Valley, two-time third-team All-American. In his two seasons at Drake, he averaged 30 points and 15 rebounds a game his first year. He averaged 26 and 10 in his second, once you know the league caught up, was able to hold him to 26 and 10. He owns the uh, single-season scoring record at Drake with 815 points in the 1979 and 80 season, and he is uh, second on the single-game scoring record at Drake with his 47-point performance against UW-Superior. After Drake, he got drafted into the league by the Warriors. He played seven seasons in the NBA, averaging double figures for four of them. He made it to the NBA Finals with the Houston Rockets. In his third season, he played all 82 games, averaging 18 points a contest. He was just an incredible player. His nickname was Lewis Black Magic Lloyd, and he's just one of those players that's just on a different level. So it's it's tough to compare really anyone with him. But obviously, Tucker is the bench choice, and that's a great person to have coming off your bench. You can't really lose with a Valley Player of the Year who's currently averaging 20 points a game. So I mean, it's three Player of the Year guys. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of quality in that roster. If that's if that's your dilemma. And I'm not going to write off Tucker. If he stays another season, who knows? Who knows what he's going to do if he stays around for another year? Yeah, I mean, his career would look a lot different. Probably, I can't see him averaging 30 a game. That's pretty nut. You know, that's <laughs> that's Caitlin Clark level. Uh, so he he would need to take that that jump. You know, 10 points a game more. But if he stays around another year, there's no reason why he wouldn't average 
24 a game, be again in the running for player of the year, all NBC first team. So if you took a step back and saw three-time first team all NBC, I believe he was, was he second or third team his uh, freshman year? I forget, uh, but he did receive an accolade for that as well. Yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, We do so much research in this podcast. And if you're a current Drake student who might have been a little bit young to understand how good Adam Emenecker was and how miraculous his story was, it's the best underdog story that you can have. I mean, he played for a Drake team that was picked ninth preseason, and he was a walk-on until a day before his senior season started. Throughout his career, I think he had started two games total in the three seasons prior. And he went on and led Drake to not only win the conference, but to become ranked 14th in the country. They beat a top 10 Butler team at Butler. He was the Valley Player of the Year. He was an academic All-American. Just an incredible story. And he was he wasn't a, a great scorer at all. I mean, the thing that stood out about Emenecker was the ability to control a game from start to finish by controlling tempo, by controlling pace, by setting people up. And and that's why Drake had such a special run that year. It was they played such team ball and they had such a chemistry about them that honestly got all of Des Moines excited. And and then it was crazy because we never got to see how that season was going to end. You know, nothing happened in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, you know, they just went on to the next season for some reason. I think they had the beta launch of COVID that year, so they just canceled the tournament. Um, so Drake <laughs> is the honorary NCAA champion that year. <laughs> That's what I recall as well. But if you weren't able to watch him, Emenecker's game was kind of like Rondo's. He didn't shoot threes, so the defender usually stood like five feet off the line, giving him space to shoot, which... I don't really know that it worked out that well for him because as a result, he had a crystal clear image of everything that was going on. And so he had great court vision. So he would just find guys passing lanes, or if you wanted to go to the hoop, you're standing five feet back, you get ahead of steam, drive and kick to Bucky Cox in the corner or dump back to Clayton Corver following. So he definitely was a unique player in the style that he played. Yeah, I thought you were going to say he was kind of like Roman a little bit too. Um, and just how he would just, he was the one who stirred the drink. And if, if you hadn't seen Drake prior to seeing a Adam Emenecker play, you would probably think like, whoa, that's, you know, that's the guy that's killing everyone, which sometimes Roman had that type of reaction too. And then, and then you realize it controlled the game from start to finish. Yeah. We do have that 2007, 2008 national championship banner hanging in the Raptors. <laughs> Uh, that's what I recall. Is, is that is that it for the mailbag? Yep, that's all we got right now. So if you guys are listening, if you have any uh, hypotheticals, what ifs, throw them at us. Yeah, these are great. They're a perfect way to to end the pod and and get us in the good vibes for the week. You know, hosting Valpo and then at Indiana State. So it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, huge week for us. It'll be big in deciding whether or not we win this conference. So go dogs. Go dogs. Thank <laughs> you.